everybody. Andy Hamilton coming to you with a special Continental Championships edition track wrestling podcast. European Championships are underway in Serbia. The Pan Am Championships get started on Friday in Brazil. You can watch both tournaments on track wrestling. We'll be joined a little bit later in the show by Tim Hands of FivePointMove.com. But right now we have our international freestyle analyst, Seth Patera, on the line. How's it going, Seth? Good, Andy. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Hey, thank you for taking some time. Two days down, two days still to come at the European Championships as far as freestyle goes. To this point, what has caught your eye so far? Um, so at 57, I was pretty interested. Uh, Georgia Dishrich Bailey. So he transferred to Azerbaijan, and there's some wondering maybe he might not represent them here because he lost to a tough young guy named Matt Kermir Swan. A feet sensitive. Well, but anyway, really won his second European title in a weight that I thought was going to be, you know, between Solomon Atley and Zara Goya, two of the best up-and-comers. But really won his second European title for his second country because he won his first one back, at 50, back in 2013 for his uh, home country of Georgia, but now he transferred to Azerbaijan. I really liked what I saw from Darren Kurgliev at 86 kilos for Russia. He looked really good beating uh, Alexander Gostiev in the finals. And Gostiev was actually able to – it may look like an upset, but historically Alexander Gostiev, he's a transfer from Ossetia, but he has owned the series against uh, Olympic runner-up Selim Yassar, like 3-0 now. Two wins, 2015 Yassar Dogu, 2016 Yassar Dogu, and now this is European Championship. Um, Kurt Leif was also able to get a good win over Marshkashvili and Isfan Vareb, Dato Marshkashvili and Isfan Vareb, two world medals. So I think he'll, he's looking really good, but Sajulai is still going to be competing at this weight for this year. And word is he wants to move up to 90 kilos next year. So keep an eye out for Kurt Leif, but it's, he's probably not going to represent them at Worlds, but He'll look good. 65 kilos, I was blown away by Elias Bekulatov. I mean, he looked incredible. He teched his way through the European Championship, and he teched a really tough guy in Boris Novotkov, um in the finals. 97 kilos, I mean, Volpikayev is not the same dude that he was last year. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. He lost to Riza Yildirim of Turkey in the finals. Yildirim also beat Elise Bar Odakadze. Um, if you guys remember, Elise Bar Odakadze and Answer both Kyle both beat Kyle Snyder in 2016. So I don't know if Odakadze is known to be inconsistent, and both Kyle has not looked the same since last year. So don't think he'll be quite on the caliber that they were when they beat Snyder, but he's still someone uh, tough to watch. Um, but so back to Lutoff, I think something to watch after Euros is. If he gets the spot, will he get the spot for um, to represent Russia at the world? Because Romanov's moving up. The Olympic champs, both Romanov's moving up. And the world champ at 70 kilos, Magomed Kurbanaliyev, is moving down. So, I mean, look at seeing how good he looked at Euros. If Soslan, if Gilius wins, I mean, there's a good chance that he could be a world champ at 65 kilos. Um... Trying to think if there's anything other than that for the first few days. Yeah, let's stop for a second. I want to ask you about David Habit. 
Uh, oh, they have it. Yep, 2015 NCAA finalist for Edinburgh makes a run, uh, becomes um, you know makes a run through uh, the 65 kilo bracket today, uh, mm-hmm. wins a bronze medal. Um, just uh, you know your thoughts on him on what you saw there. I mean, Dave's got a really good coach, and he trains really well at the Michigan RTC with Andy Frobat. So, I mean. Boris Savachkov's a pretty established guy, and Dave is going after him in their match. It's just some of the more – Boris just has a bit more finesse and comfort in certain positions, and that just comes from experience. He beat him like 6-0. But what I was really impressed with Dave Habit was in his bronze medal match against a pretty tough kid um, from Ukraine, Gore Oganesian. And David just – oh, he tore him up. I mean, Dave Habit, he gets to legs probably – He's probably one of the better guys with the weight of just getting into it. He's, he's got powerful leg attacks. It's just at that level, Dave's really good. It's just everyone else is really, really good. So getting to them is the problem. But when Dave gets in, he can finish on most everyone. I mean, he, he's excellent. But, yeah, I thought he looked really good. That's uh, Slovenia's first European medal, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Yep, so, yep you're right there. He, he looked really him and Boris looked good. I, I didn't think I, I thought Boris would have a closer match with either of but I also know that Kulitov's like one of the most underrated, nasty guys at the weight. So I'm, I'm not mad. I picked Beck Kulitov, but that's beyond the point. Well, I want to rewind to we, you know, we're coming off the U.S. Open in Las Vegas, um, also UWW Juniors. Uh, I want to just kind of give you the, the floor to, to, let you break down some of the things that you saw that impressed you. I know, I know we talked off air uh, about Gwizdowski and, and he was a guy that impressed you. Let's start with him. What what did you like about what you saw from Nick Gwizdowski on his way to the, the heavyweight title? Well, Gwizdowski as a active heavyweight doesn't ever really get stuck underneath guys, but he also has, he doesn't, there's two problems that can come from an active heavyweight. They either get stuck underneath guys so much that they don't shoot and their offense takes a – they don't attack enough, or they shoot too much and they get stuck underneath guys. Wazowski has found that perfect balance, and I thought his match with Zach Ray was about as well as you could wrestle against someone as big and strong as Zach Ray. And I've been high on Gwizdowski since, I think, last year. He uh, had a tournament in Poland, ended up beating a guy who placed fifth at the world a couple years back. And I think – I mean, I have Gwiz as a top 20 guy in the world, so I'm I'm really excited to see how he moves forward going into the trials, having a bye into the finals. And I think how he wrestles, he could be our next Travell. It just might take a year or two, but he's got the style that could, you know, develop into a high-level guy like Travell Blagnep where he's making bronze medal matches at Worlds pretty consistently. Also, I mean, along with Gwiz, Tony Nelson's still someone to watch, as is um, Justin Grant. But that's just my thoughts on heavyweight and Gwizdowski as a whole. Well, let's talk about David Taylor. Uh, Text and pins his way through uh, 86 kilos. Obviously, he's going to have Jaden Cox waiting for him uh, in the the final series of the World Team Trials if if David can get to that point. But uh, is this a guy, you know, the last time we talked, last time we did a podcast, was prior to the uh, World Cup, and then he goes out, and you, you said it was going to be a big World Cup for him with, and, and kind of laid out the reasons why. And then he goes and has perhaps um, the best 
performance in World Cup history. At least, you know, I, I can't imagine that anybody has ever beaten more high-caliber opponents in two days than he did. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Uh, do you see David Taylor as a guy that uh, um, can win a world title this year? Um, I definitely see David Taylor as a title contender, a medal contender. I don't know how he matches up with Saj Elias. That's, that's always the thing. He's Saj Elias, it, I, this is not a flight towards David. It's just Saj Elias is a monster. And so is David, but Saj Elias is just a little higher. I think David will definitely be a medal contender. If he can knock off Abdul Rashid Sajalias, that'll be insanity. Because 86 kilos right now is probably, I mean, you could say it's the best it's ever been. I mean, you have two Olympic champs. You have Donnie Chirati, who you can't always get a read on him, but he's still tough. David Taylor's looking fantastic. And you also have, I mean, one of the most intimidating guys in all international wrestling, Sajalias, who's been, I mean, he hasn't lost in like three or four years. I mean, he's, He's a terror, but I think David's going to do really good this year. If he's able to get past Jane Cox at trials, which that'll be a challenge in and of itself. A returning Olympic bronze medalist who, I mean, I don't know. I'm definitely keeping my eye on David Taylor. I have him ranked number two in the world. If he can beat Jane Cox, I legitimate. I believe he's a legitimate uh, title and medal contender at the World Championship. I just, it's a, it's, Probably one of the most difficult things in the world to be Sons Ohio. I I believe he can beat everyone else at eighty six kilos. He's beaten Marshall Gishvili, who if you remember he beat Marshall Gishvili beat Jane Cox at a uh, World Cup. But yeah, I totally see David Taylor as a legitimate contender at eighty six. He's a, he's a monster at the weight. Well, let's stay on eighty six for a second. Uh, Pat Downey talked the oh, talk, yeah. and and he, he so, certainly he backed did. up some of it. What do you think of his performance out in Vegas? So, Pat, did he beat – yeah, he did beat Gabe Dean. And did he wrestle Bo Nickel at all? I can't he, remember he if he did. He got tapped by Bo Nickel. He got trap-armed by okay. Bo Nickel. Yeah, he, he got Dean and then turned around in the next round. He got he got tapped by Bo Nickel. Okay. So, I mean, Pat Downey's looked really – he looked good there. I mean, Bo Nickel's a uh, legitimate hammer, but beating Gabe Dean is pretty big. And the way he did it, too. When – Pat entered the open. I was a little skeptical. I was thinking with the whole Iowa State situation, is Pat going to have a steady training environment? What, how's his conditioning going to look? But hearing that he's training up in Wisconsin with Proviso, I mean, he looks good. He looks really good. I mean, sometimes you just can't hang upper body with bone nickel. I mean, that's totally understandable. The guy is a freak up there. But, yeah, I mean, let's see. Pat Downey, I mean, the sky's the limit for the guy if he's able to keep going and come back next year for NCAAs. I mean, I could see him as a real title contender, just as long as he doesn't do any more stupid stuff on Twitter. I mean, this guy, <laughs> guy's a freak. Uh, switching over to UWW Juniors, and we we talked about Ryan Deacon just a little bit. Oh, yeah. um, a, a guy that uh, – uh, really popped on a lot of people's radars at Midlands. You know, he had a huge yeah. Midlands tournament. Uh, I think, I believe he finished third there. And, yeah. uh, you know, posted posted some pretty good wins throughout his redshirt season. And then he goes yeah. and, and um, beats Yanni. He beats Kanan Storr. 
to me, to me, a, a guy that in the last six months has probably been one of the biggest rising stars uh, in, in college wrestling in, in terms of guys that haven't been on the mat yet, so uh, or at least in a lineup yet. What did you see from him? Deacon, the thing about Ryan Deacon is, one, he's long, and two, he can get the legs really well, and he's got a really nice head-inside single that when he goes elbow down and he starts chasing the other leg, I mean, he gets it so quick because he's got that reach and he's so good about it. He can also come out the back door like nobody's business. I mean, that's late in the match with Yanni. That's what he used to beat him. And then against Kanan Store, who was up away from his real, from his breakout performance at the Schultz, where he beat Kendig yep. and Lazor and then lost to uh, Dimitar Ivanov, who a lot of people said was the junior world champ, but that was a misprint guy medal like two years back. But, yeah, Ryan Deacon really impressed me. And at Midlands, his only loss was Brandon Sorensen. I mean, come next year, Ryan Deacon, along with Kane and Storr, and I don't know what weight Yanni is going to be, but those three at the junior level, are just those guys could be immediate All-Americans right there. They have the potential to be, for sure. Well, uh, this week the uh, men's freestyle team was announced for the Pan Am Championships, 57 mm-hmm. kilograms. Tyler Graff, 61. Logan Steber be back on the mat, 65. Kellen Russell, 70. James Green, 74. Kyle Rochelle, 86. Gabe Dean, 97. Kyle Snyder makes his return, and 125. Dom Bradley. Seth, what uh, what are you most eager to find out? this weekend about the U.S. team that uh, is heading to the Pan Am Championships? So, at 57, I mean, Graf should win that pretty easily. That's kind of a weak weight for the Pan Am. 61, if Yales Bonnie Rodriguez is there, that will be an insane match. Because we're going to see if Logan Steber can convert. He's got a high attack rate, and if he can, you know, circumnavigate the really dangerous, un, you know, really dangerous exposure game of YBR, now, 65, I mean, Kellen Russell is not he, – he'll play here if he's in the right side of the bracket, but he's he's got the number five ranked guy in the world, Alejandro Valdez-Cubier, who beat Frank Chimizo, um in November at the, in Germany. He had Franklin Gomez. 70 kilos, I think James Green just breezes through this. I'm interested to see. There's a young kid. His name's Anthony Montero Christos, and – when James Green was cutting down to 65 kilos last year, he lost him in the Pan Am Finals. But if that match happens, it, it would just be fun to watch James Green just show that, hey, I was emaciated out of my mind. I can still tear this dude up. Kyle Michelle, a lot of people were surprised seeing him at this weight. But, I mean, 74 kilos isn't some murderer's row. I mean, outside of Levon Lopez, the skillies are, I think, uh, let's see, 11, 12. 13 and 14, a four-time world medalist. I mean, outside of that, Rochelle does have a decent chance of placing. So Gabe Dean, this will be a good chance to see Gabe against two tougher guys, but not not like the top five or top ten. So he's he can get a chance to wrestle a Olympic fifth-place finisher from Venezuela, Pedro Ceballos Fuentes. That should be a good match. And 2012 Olympic runner-up, Jaime Espinal. Snyder? This is a really exciting match. So, Renera Salas-Perez, who Jane Cox beat in the Olympic bronze medal match, Salas-Perez moved up to uh, 97 kilos and was a runner-up in November at the Grand Prix 
and I have the right John to a 2014 world champ of Deuce Juan Gadisov. And Salas Perez, is, I mean, Salas Perez, I think, won four tournaments last year at 97 kilos. So him and a, if him and Snyder wrestle in the finals, if that goes down, I'd be I'd be really excited about that. And Don Bradley, I mean, Don Bradley should breeze through heavyweight. He, that that title's as good as locked up for him. Well, that's that's the breakdown from Seth Patera. Seth, thank you, as always, for your insight. And uh, we look forward to having you back in the weeks to come to talk more international freestyle. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. We have um, the Asian Championships coming up as well. That will be in India. Next week. Yeah. Next week, and you can catch that one on Track Wrestling as well. So. That's Seth Patera. Thank you, Seth. And you can check out Seth's work. His analysis of the European Championships is up on track wrestling. We'll have more from him from the Pan Am Championships on the weekend. Thank you very much, Seth. I'm joined now by Tim Hams, the founder and editor of FivePointMove.com. Thanks for giving us some of your time tonight, Tim. Oh, always a pleasure to speak with you, Andy. Well, hey, I want to start first by rewinding the last week with the World Team Trials in Las Vegas. Uh, to me, it's a pretty interesting group. you got a guy in Hazanoff, a two-time Asian Championships medalist for Uzbekistan, who won the lottery to become a United States citizen. you got a couple young guys in Mason Manville and Giangelo Hancock. you got a veteran in Chaney Haight who thought his career was over in 2012. There's Pat Smith, and then there's two Olympians and Robbie Smith and Ben Provisor. From your vantage point, what's the most interesting story? Well, the most interesting story is Manville at 75 kilos for sure. I think the, your viewership uh, more than familiar with Mason Manville's story. Um, as a senior level competitor, you could all you know over the last year you could see Manville's obvious talent every time he took the mat. It's it's almost as if it was um, he needed something to kind of break it out of him somehow. There was maybe a slight element of hesitance or, you know, just the senior grind uh, might have been a little bit, uh, you know, might have needed an adjustment period. I, I don't know what it is. Everybody knows how gifted that kid is. But Saturday he was a revelation. And it's not just because of him defeating, you know, the phenom uh, Kamal Bey. His other matches, too, um, in his, his first, uh, what was it? Um, I guess it was the quarters. It was Jesse Porter. Jesse Porter's another, you know, star, future star in the making. And even when that got dicey, Manville still managed to keep his composure and just keep attacking. And then in the semifinals, it was Dylan Cowan. Dylan Cowan's a technical marvel. He's uh textbook just a textbook greco-roman wrestler sets up incredible arm throws knows how to get to the body off his angles and once again manville just attacking 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 slide by short drag just getting on angles all over the place and i think that's what served him well in the finals is that he didn't stop moving and against a guy as explosive as kamal bay you cannot stop moving you just can't because kamal has excellent transition moves he knows how to set traps for you to step right into his wheelhouse where he could get to his body lock or, you know, saltos, whatever. And uh, Manville just 
he was like an energizer bunny, you know, an energizer bunny with incredible skills. So it was, uh, yeah, it was something to see um, how that style matches up against the seniors in Paris is going to be interesting. But for sure, to me at least, Manville uh, was the preeminent story of the weekend. And then obviously Pat Smith at 71 kilograms. He's been a multiple-time finalist. Uh, he beats Rayvon Perkins, who is, you know, without question, one of the best wrestlers in the country at any weight. He's a marvelous talent and also owns a litany of wins over Smith, including last year's Olympic trial finals. And not only did Smith beat him, he, he blanked him. He shut him down. And that was kind of jarring. And in, in the finals, he has Gonzalez. Gonzalez threw and pinned uh, Smith at the NYAC non-Olympic weight world team trials. It was another shutdown. Uh, Pat gave up one point in two matches. Second match, he won six nothing. And so I think Manville and Smith were the two, if I could highlight, that made the biggest impression on me personally. Those would be the two. I want to ask you about the other Smith real quick. Robbie Smith, uh, a couple of years ago, obviously really close to becoming a uh, world bronze medalist. Um, mm-hmm. You know, an Olympian last year, uh, a guy that. Uh, Felt like a lot of people were doubting him coming into the world team trials. What did you think about Robbie and his performance on the weekend? Well, the interesting part about Robbie, I never doubt his performance. Um, he's so far ahead of everybody else at 130 that his time off wasn't going to be so much of a hindrance. And the proof of that is he came back in March at the Thor Masters in Denmark. He lost his first bout to Oscar Marvick in Norway swept the next four it's a nordic system so he actually you know took first and uh funny enough during that tournament he wrestled toby erickson uh, uh, i think that was his second or third match of the morning and he he beat toby three to one you know it was a a, a grinding you know kind of passivity uh style match but it showed that you know perhaps that gap had been closed you know, I mean, because outside of Adam Kuhn last year, I mean, Erickson was it for, you know, what I think 2014, 15 on. So you wanted to see, okay, you know, is that gap really, you know, that that much narrower at this point? And I mean, sure, the the first match wasn't certainly, I mean, it wasn't a bloodbath, the first match. It was a pretty competitive bout. Toby was right there the entire time. But... <laughs> you give Robbie an arm and he's just so fast. I mean, he's as fast as a 59 kilo guy with an arm throw and he gets the arm throw and he knows what to do with it. You know, he circled back to the head. He held him down for the fall. No, I, I, I think if there's one wrestler in particular as the entire U S squad that you don't have to worry about, it would certainly be Robbie Smith. Anybody who doubted him uh, must not have known his history. Um, he's, he's a performer. He knows how to perform, and he's uh, he's thirty. You know, he just turned thirty uh, at the end of January. So, yeah, with Greco, you start looking at guys. Ah, you know, once they start to be twenty eight, twenty nine, you start to feel like ah, this could be. They're probably starting to hit the slide a little bit, but uh, no, I don't. I, I don't know even know if we've seen Robbie's best wrestling yet necessarily. I mean, depending on what happens with the rule set before Paris, but. Um, no, he's formidable, and I think Robbie will actually be formidable until the day he steps down, whether that's after this year's Worlds or next. I mean, I think he's taken it year by year. 
You mentioned the rules, lots of grumbling in, in Vegas about this current set of rules. And, and one thing we know is, is that they could change tomorrow and, and they could change the day after as well. So what are your thoughts on the rules that are in place right now with Greco-Roman? Well, I, I think that what you're probably referring to was the caution and two on the finger grabbing. Um, that was going to be an issue. Everybody knew that was going to be an issue coming in. USA Wrestling released a modifications document in March. So none of this was a surprise. And even still, every time it got called, it's a big surprise. You know, guys are standing around looking like they're confused. What are you talking about? You know, he grabbed me. I, I didn't grab him. And, you know, it, it's the same It's the same kind of song and dance that's been going on for years. You know, even when it wasn't a caution and two, guys got their fingers grabbed. You know, they're always... There, there's always machinations to show the officials that it wasn't it wasn't me. He's grabbing me. Um, do I think the problem isn't the rules? It's consistency and enforcement. You know, it's the same thing in football. You know, it's are you going to call it the same way in the fourth quarter as you are in the first? I mean, it's that kind of thing to me. Um, I'm not out there on the mat though, so <laughs> uh, talk is cheap from the cheap seats. I don't have a problem with. I, I, I don't know why anybody would. I don't have a problem with a real harsh discouragement of, of, you know, slowing down or avoiding action. Obviously, we need that. Uh, the other part, I think, that uh, got attention leading up to the trials was the concept of hooking, which isn't an altogether new concept, but w it's obviously necessary to spell this out. And hooking, overhooks, underhooks, yeah, two on ones, um, you know, however, however you can kind of come up with different styles of hooking. Hooking leads to action. You know, they did the statistics. They punched them through. They punched the numbers, and an overwhelming percentage of scoring holds come from hooking. So as long as those underhooks aren't just, you know, I'm holding you in place and I'm just going to try to walk you around and make it look like I'm busy. As long as that wasn't the kind of underhook being, you know, brandished, they were, I thought it was called really well uh, in that respect. I, I didn't have any complaints about that. Um, the only thing that did pop up funny enough over the weekend was a lot of people were complaining about uh, correct hold or correct throw rather. And correct throw for Greco is an absolute necessity. You have to offer an incentive, a reward for guys who are willing to take risks and try to score. If, even if they don't score, even if they don't have a, even if they don't punch through for exposure, you need the correct throw. And there were more than a few matches that were decided by that. None more, um, None more meaningful, probably, than John Sabanovich's upset over Dorian Spieler at 80 kilograms in the semifinals. You know, that was uh, was three to one. Um, I mean, what it was, it was two to one. And then Sabanovich hits uh, an arm throw that Spieler almost practically cartwheeled out of. And it was, uh, it was two for Sabanovich. He goes ahead, wins three to two, moves on to the finals. It was a big deal. But it's the artistry of Greco-Roman wrestling is the throws, you know, not every throw against high-level athletes going to lead to exposure. 
It's just not going to happen. I don't understand why people get confused over that. These guys have been taking throws their entire lives. They they know how to kind of adjust their bodies while they're in, you know, engaged. Uh, you need the correct throw. I love it. I don't know why people complain about it, but certainly a lot of people did. Well, we got a couple of big events uh, coming up this week on track wrestling, European championships going on right now in freestyle. Uh, Greco-Roman gets started later in the week, and then the Pan Am Championships kicking off Friday down in Brazil with Greco-Roman leading off that program. What are you most anxious as a Greco-Roman follower and fan? What are you most anxious to find out this weekend? Well, yeah, right. It's an awesome, awesome weekend for Greco-Roman wrestling, for sure. The European Championships, I think everybody knows, um, there are very, very select few tournaments in the uh, on the calendar each year that you have to watch. I mean, it's the Worlds, depending on the, the year, it's the World Cup, and then it's the European Championships and the Hungarian Grand Prix. Uh, the European Championships, I think if I was to kind of – I mean, don't get me wrong, there's probably a dozen and a half awesome potential matchups, but I – I think what people are going to want to see the most is probably at 98 kilograms is Melnikov. Nikita Melnikov from Russia is uh, back. He basically has been, you know, honing in, zeroing in on this event. He wasn't part of the World Cup roster. This was a reason why uh, he wants to prepare for this. And so he's going to be locking up with the big dog, Arthur Alexanian from Armenia. the, you know, arguably the best in the world, even though Melikov owns, I think, three or four straight wins over him, something ridiculous like that. And that, to me, is the main event of the European Championships. Uh, 59 is, uh, you know, I mean, Russia's roster is virtually the same as the World Cup, uh, minus um, minus a few guys, uh you know, uh, Vlasov's not there and whatever, but I think 59 has Semenov. Semenov, the reason why I'm kicking in a little bit on Minjin Semenov is just because even though he's usually dominant, there are, he, there are some events that he kind of seems to hit quicksand in a little bit. This usually isn't one of them. And barring, uh, you know, something uh, ridiculous kind of happening. Um, I expect Semenov to win at uh, 59, not that I go into the prediction-making business too often. It's just that 59 is not actually the most incredibly deep weight class heading into the Euros this weekend. Um, But uh, Ivo Angelov uh, is going to be there uh, from Bulgaria. So I'm looking at that depending on the draws uh, as the final. And... You know, it's with the Euros, just like every, every other international event, every other marquee international event. It's it's sometimes not necessarily the finals that decide these things. It's often what happens in the qualification rounds and even in the uh, round of 16s or the quarters. Um, it's just insane depth. Uh, another wrestler to watch out for, I, he's not going to win probably. <laughs> he's not going to win probably because Jack Fataz is in there at 85 kilos, but is Robert Kobliashvili from Georgia. He's another one that I think if you're not into Greco, but you kind of want to be, you might want to watch him 
just because he's he's a thrower. Um, he's a th- and he's and he's gritty. Uh, he you know at the I think it was the second world qualifier last year. He broke uh, Damian Janikowski from Poland uh, to advance and just broke him. And he's really exciting. Also from Georgia's Jella Volkvads. He's another favorite of mine. Um, depending on you know what you're into at 75 kilos, Jella Volkvads isn't going to. Uh, he'll, he, I think he'll. He's a, a medal candidate. I don't think he's. Uh, he might be championship material, but he's another one. The Georgians are great at scoring. They like. They like action. They they come forward, and they're always trying to get to the body. You know, you're not going to see a lot of grinding, boring, passivity-filled kind of affairs with them. So, I mean, overall, the, the Euros are, are great. Um, it's a it's a great event. One of my favorites, absolutely, every year, especially since, you know, the last few years where these events have started to become um, easily accessible to watch, you know, from, you know, where I'm at <laughs> in New Jersey. Um and then, if you don't mind, yeah, the Pan Ams are important uh, for American fans, American wrestling fans of any sort. Uh, the Pan Ams have uh, a lot riding on it in a way this year because of United World Wrestling's uh, emphasis on the Continental Championships as they relate to the World Championships in Paris. You know, um, unlike the Olympic qualifi- the qualification process for the Olympics where athletes qualify weights for their countries and then however you know whoever winds up showing up gets that spot that's not how this is going to work obviously instead what is going to happen is the wrestlers who perform at the pan ams however it's on the point system uh for placement not necessarily seeding but placement, I think what it is is that they're looking at the Continental Championships as a mechanism for separation within the brackets. And so first place for the Continental Championships uh, is 12 points, second place 10, third place 8, you know, whatever, and down and down it goes. So they're looking at UWW is the World Championships from 2016, which were the non-Olympics for uh, uh, particularly, and then also the Olympics. Now, for the U.S. team, the Olympics are uh, irrelevant. There are two Olympians that are on the current world team roster for uh, the U.S. That would be Ben Provisor at 85 kilos and Robbie Smith at 130. They both took 12th in the Olympics, so they have zero points. Um, but they are also on the world team roster as as is uh, as are um, Patrick Smith at 71 and uh, Giangelo Hancock at 98. So those four wrestlers, um, in particular, they got they have to do well at the Pan Ams. I mean, you, you don't want to you don't want to mess up an opportunity that might lead to a, bit, a slightly better draw at the Worlds for sure. And I and also, I mean, if it means anything. The U.S. should perform very, very well at the Pan Ams. Cuba, Cuba is the only other roster that I, I think anybody really needs to pay too much attention to. Cuba, you know, it's come, come, came pretty loaded to Brazil. I mean, they have uh, Ismael Barrero, obviously Olympic champion, world champion. He's a three-time Pan Am Championships gold medalist. 
You have, uh, obviously, Yasmani Lugo Cabrera. He was the Olympic silver medalist in 98. He's a five-time Pan Am Championships gold medalist, for crying out loud. And then, um, even though they're not bringing um, Lopez at 130, they have Oscar Pino Hines. He uh, won the Pan Ams last year, and he's he's a pretty tough heavyweight. He'd give Robbie a, he'd give Robbie a good match. But, um, yeah, the U.S. should perform well. And in, even though the U.S. team isn't stocked with all eight world team members, the four that are there, yeah, it's important. It's really, really important. So it should be a great, a great three days of wrestling because the Pan Ams are Friday. One day, bang, and then Saturday and Sunday the Euro. So it's it's awesome. It's a, it's if you're if you're a wrestling fan of any sort, this should be terrific. But if you're into Greco, this is like this is almost like Championship Weekend in football. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, I'm pumped up. Well, hey Tim, thank you so much for the time and insight. We greatly appreciate it. Oh no problem, Andy. Thank you very much. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.